been through quite a season as a church, haven't we? We started out with Christmas Eve, and, and then we went, went towards baptisms. And then we had a four-week series that we finished called Taboo. Then just last weekend, we had one of our bonus Sundays. So now what? Have you people forgotten about 1 Corinthians? Do you remember that? Like, why do you not remember? Why do you hate me? It hurts. It hurts. But there it is. There it is. We're back to that. Now, it's been a while. Uh, Pastor Jared preached through most of the third chapter, all of the third chapter, actually, of 1 Corinthians back on December 19th. It's now February, right? So we got to kind of refresh that a little bit. If you remember, we called it a dumpster fire because the church in ancient Corinth was just that. They were a dumpster fire. And the Apostle Paul is writing to them. Now, part of the dumpster fire, part of the problem was that they had broken into these little factions, these little teams, little fan tribes surrounding popular preachers who had come through and preached in Corinth. And now there were the little teams surrounding them, and they were broken up over that. So maybe you remember this from Pastor Jared's sermon. Let me remind you, chapter 3, verses 3 to 6, said, For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, Are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. Now you remember that? So what's going on there is Paul is like, hey, this is just silly. Like, listen, he calls them servants. We are servants, not celebrities. You get that? We're servants, not celebrities, and there's only one celebrity, and that's Jesus. That's the only celebrity. Now, don't miss this. This is kind of interesting. If there are factions and teams, uh, you know, I'm on team Peter, I'm on team Apollos, I'm on team Paul, if there's these little teams in the congregation, what that means is as Paul is writing to them, some of them are not on team Paul. Right? That means a, a number in his audience for his letter don't think very much of Paul. So what would you expect him to do? Now, if I'm in Paul's shoes, <laughs> I'd be, oh man, I'd be, um, I'm sorry. Maybe I forgot to give you my title. I'm the Apostle Paul. Pretty much single-handedly invented missions. Planted your church. That's why you're a Christian. I brought the gospel to you. You wouldn't be a Christian without me. Oh, by the way, I'm sorry I'm not there right now. I'm currently writing most of the New Testament of the Bible, right? Like, this is who I am. So, yeah, like, nobody's resume, your little guy that you're behind, his resume doesn't even compare to mine. Tell you what, you get your guy, you have him meet me in the Agora. Because I'm prison, Paul. I've been beaten, I have been in prison, and I'm tough. And I know I can't see well, but you point me in the right direction and I will kick his... No, I don't think, I don't think Paul would, would have said any of that, okay? But I'll tell you this. I would kind of expect Paul to at least defend himself, right? I would expect him to tell them why they ought to be on Team Paul. And yet, he refuses to even play the game. Here's where we pick it up. We're now in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Verses 3 through 5. 
And here's what he said. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Now, we we like to at times talk about, you shouldn't judge and all that. And there's some verses, we'll get to that in a sec. But that's not what this is about. This is not about judging others. This is about being judged by others, receiving judgment as Paul had been receiving. And a couple thoughts for you here. First of all, Paul is very comfortable wearing a bullseye. Uh, Earlier on in our ministry, uh, we heard a guy named Dr. Paul Cox say, This, he said, if you lead, get used to wearing a bullseye. And if you don't want to wear a bullseye, don't lead. And it reminded me of my favorite far side comic. Just love Bummer of a birthmark, Hal, right? Let me tell you something. Hal is in leadership, okay? That is what it means to lead right there. And Paul understands it. See, crowds are fickle. It even happened to Jesus. Like the same crowd that was shouting Hosanna to the son of David was the same crowd that the very next day shouted, crucify him, crucify him. And if it happened to Jesus, of course, it can happen to Paul. And it doesn't matter how much you minister. It doesn't matter how much you bless. Some will turn on you quick and brutal. And it's sad and it hurts, but it's part of leadership. You'll wear that bullseye. Now, the cool thing is that Paul, in the passage, calls it a very small thing. I think that was an intentional choice to let the small things be small, to not focus on it, to not obsess about it, but to keep moving forward. And in that moment, what Paul does is he responds instead of reacts. Those are very different. They sound alike. But they're very different. It's very important that we catch the difference. See, reaction is a knee-jerk kind of response. It's, it's emotional. It's quick. It's not wise. It's not rational. And boom, and it's almost never helpful. Response, by contrast, is Holy Spirit-informed. It's patient. It's calm. It's rational. And it's usually helpful. And it's so huge to learn the difference. What if we, as God's people, learned to respond instead of to react in our marriages? What if we learned to respond instead of react with our children? Be huge. What if we learned to respond instead of react at our places of work? Right? Or or how about when somebody is attacking our faith in Christ? What if we responded instead of reacted? Or or like in Paul's case, what if when people are personally dissing you, oh, that we could respond instead of react. See, Paul doesn't stoop to their level. He doesn't play their game. Instead, what he does is he shifts the focus. Okay, and that's the next thing I want to talk about, shifting the focus. This came in recently with um, watching football during the commercials. 
Uh, maybe you've seen some of the new iPhone 13 Pro commercials that are so fantastic. In fact, here's one of them. Watch this. Can I ask you a question? Am I out of focus? You're fine. Yeah, but I mean, look at me. I'm all, I'm all blurry. Well, you're supporting cast. What? The camera focuses on the most important character, which is me. Well, what if my character had a big reveal? Like what? Like maybe I'm the killer. Are you? Yeah. <laughs> no. Could have been. Could have been the killer. That's fantastic. And so basically, uh, that new iPhone has the ability to shift focus during the video uh, to different depths in the field. And, uh, but what it points out is that yeah, the camera has to focus somewhere, right? And, and what Paul has decided to do when you look at the passage, what Paul decided to do is to shift the focus off of the supporting cast, off of the crowds who are judging him, and he shifted the focus to the main character, Jesus. That's where the focus lands, on the judgment of God. Man, to be freed from the opinions and the judgments of others, that would be so fantastic. But I'll tell you what, much of what drives us is the opinions of others. We deny it, but we lie. <laughs> like some people are like, well, I just don't care about the opinions of others. I'm calling bull crap on that. Yeah, you do. You absolutely do. We are designed for affirmation and correction. We're moral beings. And when we screw up, we're designed to receive correction. And we are always craving what Paul talks about at the end there, commendation, affirmation. We want it. We want it so bad. We're hardwired for it. Now, sadly, what happens is we focus on the supporting cast the crowds, and we're looking for our judgment and affirmation from them, and, and so it seeps into our soul. So sometimes what we try to do next is to say, well, I just don't care what anyone thinks. And, and it's just not true, because what that does is it creates a vacuum, and nature abhors a vacuum. Something has to be in there. Or to put it another way, the camera has to focus somewhere. We can't unfocus it. We have to shift the focus from the supporting cast to the main character, and that is Jesus himself. So, if you look back at the passage and skim through that, that's exactly what Paul did. He shifts the focus from them to Jesus. See, Paul is playing for an audience of one. I heard the story one time about a very skilled, famous musician, can't remember who it was or even the answer, I think it was a pianist, played to a packed concert hall. And at the end of it, everyone stood and just gave a standing O. I mean, it was just brought down the house. But the musician didn't care 
Because there was one in the audience. It was his instructor all growing up, all through his professional career. His instructor happened to be in the concert hall that night. And so the musician didn't care about the crowd. He wanted to see the expression on the face of one person. One person. That's playing for an audience of one. And I wish we would shift the focus off the crowds and onto the very face of God and only his opinion would matter. And if you do that, if you shift the focus there, then we could learn to respond instead of react. You see, when we focus on the reaction of the crowds, then we tend to react. But when we shift the focus to the face of God, that's when we respond. And the fact that we most often react kind of indicates where our focus usually is. It's not on the face of God. Now, to be honest... It doesn't mean that we're not hurt by the criticism, the unfair criticism, uh, but we're just not moved by it. Like, leading hurts. Unfair criticism hurts. I'm sure it hurt the Apostle Paul. Yes, it hurts, but he wasn't moved by it. He made it a very small thing by focusing on the face of God, the judgment of God, and therefore he could respond instead of react. Now, if you want to test where your focus is, there's a great website called gotquestions.org. Great for Christians with questions of all kinds. Really good website. I found some questions on there. Uh, There were eight of them. I'm just going to give you the last three, as you can see there. But look at these. If God approves, but others misunderstand or criticize my actions, will I stop? If those whom I am serving never show gratitude or repay me in any way, will I still do it? Do I judge my success or failure based upon my faithfulness to what God has asked me to do or how I compare with others? See, those are revealing questions. They show where you're focusing the camera. Now, there's there's good news there. And the good news is that it's only the judgment of God that matters. <laughs> but that's a Trojan horse. I'll tell you what, here's the bad news. The judgment of God should not comfort you, but convict you. I mean, if you look back at the passage, Paul says, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. He doesn't expect to be found innocent as a result. It is the Lord who judges me, therefore do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. Look at this. Who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart? Uh Uh-oh. Paul knows this shift doesn't acquit him. Why? Because the crowds, listen, when you shifted to God, God's perfectly holy. The standard just went up exponentially. It skyrocketed. And God sees all the hidden stuff. All the stuff that I've hidden to convince you that I'm actually a good guy. God sees all that. Oh, and what's more? He he doesn't just care about what I do, but the reasons why I do it. He judges not only the actions, but the purpose of the heart. (laughs) My goodness. This should move us towards humility, towards repentance, not towards comfort. Now, 
to give you an example of what that might look like. Remember on the table is they're rallying around various preachers. So let's talk about preachers here for a moment. Now, evidently, God judges not just the words and the skill, but also the impact. Excuse me, not just the word skill and impact, but also the heart, the intention, what's going on in the preacher as he approaches the act of preaching. I've, I've reminded myself for years that it is more important on Sunday mornings, it's more important that my heart is right than that my notes are tight. It's much more important. Now, if you've made Redemption Chapel your home, I am guessing that you at least don't hate my preaching. Maybe you're just here for the band. I would understand that completely. Uh, we're blessed, we're blessed, no doubt. But granted, not, not, not everybody loves my preaching. I'm okay with that, but I'm guessing most of you kind of like it. But you're supporting cast. You're not the main character. You're not what the camera needs to focus. So here's how this could go down. Like Jesus could come up to me and, uh, like, if you take my best sermon ever, like my absolute best sermon ever, and Jesus comes up and says, hey, you remember that sermon? <laughs> Lord, Wow. I mean, that sermon, it was solidly biblical. It was wise and insightful. There were great illustrations. It was memorable. It was applicable. Like, I got so much great affirmation on it. It totally impacted people. And Jesus will say, yeah, that's cute. So, um, do you remember how you did that for your glory, not for mine? Do you, do you remember how afterwards you were strutting around like you were some big deal? Uh-oh. <laughs> Uh-oh. And I'm talking about a very good action of preaching a sermon for Jesus, but evidently the purpose of the heart matters too. It shouldn't comfort us. It should convict us. You see, whatever bad thing you may think of me, I will tell you right now, you are wrong. It's way worse. <laughs> it's way worse than that. And that's my actions. And you don't even know the selfish mixed motives that I bring to everything I do. Jesus does. He can see that stuff. And it says Jesus will disclose the things that are hidden and the, the motivations or the purposes of the heart. Now I'm guessing that by that standard, we all fail utterly. So let's avoid the ridiculous pride that by shifting the focus from the crowds to Jesus, that somehow Jesus is going to go, wow, you're awesome. Maybe you should be the king of kings. Maybe you should be the savior. I don't, I don't think it's going to go down like that. And praise God. Because if we go down that road, listen, this throws us into works-based religion. Now, instead of trying to impress the crowds and working really hard for that, now I'm going to work really hard to impress Jesus. And that's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. The gospel says he loves you by grace. It's by grace that he loves you, not by earning it. Not at all. And it says that Jesus paid for all our filth, even our filthy motives. He sees it all. He already paid for it all, and therefore, we're secure. I, listen, Jesus, when he died, when he called you as a son, Jesus already knows 
all the filth in your life. In fact, there's some filth that you haven't even done yet that's in the future. Jesus already knows that. You don't even know it. Jesus already knows that. And he said, you are mine. And he paid the price in order to take us home. So when we shift the focus from the crowds to Jesus, guess who looks good? Not us. Jesus looks really good. And his gospel is glorious. He's the main character. He's the hero. And he looks really, really good in focus. Really good. That's some of what Paul's doing there. Now, there are a couple other verses that I want to share with you before we're done. Pick it up in verse 6. Paul says, I have applied all these things to myself and Apollos for your benefit, brothers, that you may learn by us not to go beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up in favor of one against another. For who sees anything different in you? What did... What, what do you have that you did not receive? If then you received it, why do you boast as if you did not receive it? All right, see, now I think what he's doing is so far he's been talking about what to do when you're judged by others. Now he's warning against judging others. And in that he says, don't go beyond what is written. Which means we should never decide judgment. We should only parrot the judgment that God has already decided. It's his prerogative. We just get to parrot it. Now, at times we need to. I'll give you a little preview here. In chapter 5, okay, it's coming up, chapter 5, Paul will render judgment quite clearly and specifically on someone. Turns out that when you sleep with your stepmom, that's sin, Okay? And, and so a little preview for you, that's coming up. And so, so the point is, where God is clear, we're clear. And where God's not clear, we're not clear. You see that? And so don't play ventriloquist with God. Like, don't try to put your words in his mouth where we elevate our opinions to the very word of God. No. Don't go beyond what's written. So as an example... Uh, well, I'll get to an example in a second. Let me first say this, that you are free to make all kinds of rules for yourself. Okay? You're not free to make rules for others. That's God's prerogative. Now, here's the example. Drinking alcohol. You're absolutely free to say, it is wrong for me to drink alcohol. To say that about yourself. You are not free to say it's wrong for everyone else to drink alcohol. That's God's prerogative. Where God's clear, we're clear. Where God's not clear, we're not clear. And so God has been really clear, drunkenness is wrong. That one we can say, that's wrong for everyone to get drunk. Because God said it. We just parrot what he said. You see what happens there? Now often, when we're being judgy of others, we go beyond what is written. We are adding man-made rules to the rules of God and acting as if our rules are from God's mouth. And I'll tell you what, it's always been a problem in the church, but I think it's gotten really bad over the last couple years, hasn't it? The pandemic brought out the worst in us, and we added a lot of rules on both sides, on both sides. So you had people saying, well, you know, if you, if you take this one verse and you add my opinion and some politics and some debated science, 
Therefore, all Christians should. Again, it was on both sides. Therefore, all good Christians, you're, if you don't do this, you're a bad Christian. We just added rules. Now, do not murder. Okay, there's a clear one. When you murder, I know you murdered. That's clear. Don't commit adultery. Don't steal. Those are clear. Where God's clear, we're clear. Do not go beyond what is written. And the reason why is because it never makes anyone more holy. It doesn't work. There's another letter that Paul wrote to the Christians in Colossae. We call it Colossians. And he was talking about all these man-made rules that we make up. And here's what he said about them in chapter 2, verse 23. He said, these, these man-made rules, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. They don't work. It never works. Nobody gets more holy. Not them, not me. Not us, not them. So let us shift our focus off our man-made rules, off our opinions, and let's put the focus on the clear judgment of God. That's one of the things that Paul is saying in the passage. Another thing that he's saying there is, did you see where he says, don't be puffed up? Like to to puff yourself up, like that's arrogance, that's hubris, that's pride. Don't be puffed up. After all, why do we judge others? It's not just to push them down. It's so that I can step on their head to lift myself up. It's to puff myself up. And the reason why is because all of us, we feel like crap about ourselves. We don't like to admit that. But everyone does. And so I want to be able to look down on someone so I can feel better about myself. But here's the thing. If God is in focus... The need to puff myself up goes away because I'm already loved by God. I'm secure. Jesus paid for it. And and then secondly, the idea of puffing myself up when God's in focus is kind of ridiculous. Like when I'm focusing on God, I think I should be the one that's magnified. Or God, right? Just silly. Unfortunately, We don't always have God in focus, and so we judge others to puff ourselves up. And Paul's saying, don't do that. Now, what I want to do then is give you uh, four reasons why I think judging others is problematic. Four problems with judging others, and here's the first one. I can't discern accurately because I can't see their heart. Only Jesus can, so maybe I should leave judgment to Jesus. See, related to that, uh, I, I love what I heard one time, that the true measure of a man is not where he stands, but how far he traveled to get there. You see two guys standing in the same spot. Maybe one of them was gifted that. It was made easy for him. He was dropped off there. The other guy, you have no idea how painful and long the journey was for him to get to that spot. You don't know that. You can't see that. You can't judge that. And that's, that's dear to me because of all the recovering addicts that we have in the room. And I love them, and I, we are blessed by their presence. But I'll tell you what, some look really messy, and you have no idea how painful and long the journey has been for them to get to that spot. 
no idea. That's why we can't judge. We can't see it accurately like Jesus does. Here's the second reason. It's called the fundamental attribution error. This is interesting. This error, it's the tendency to attribute somebody else's errors to their bad character, but I attribute my errors to circumstances. You see, okay, bad character. Character for them, circumstances for me. Here's how that works out. Somebody shows up late to a meeting, and I know they've got bad character. They're lazy. When I show up late to a meeting, oh, you don't know the circumstances. You see that? Like, if you only knew the circumstances, you would understand I'm still a good guy. Somebody cuts me off in traffic. I know that person's a jerk. Character. When I cut somebody off, it was a mistake. Or if you only knew how late and how important it is, I'm sorry, I got to... Circumstances. You see that? Character on them. Circumstances for me. It's the fundamental attribution error. And that's why we shouldn't judge. Because I don't see it accurately. Only Jesus does. He's a fair judge. I'm not. A third reason we shouldn't judge is that I tend to overinflate my own accomplishments. Now, that word overinflate, you understand that's to puff up, right? That, that's what it is. And, and so Paul says, what do you have that you did not receive? And if then you received it, why do you walk around acting like you didn't, like you created it? What, what is wrong with you? You didn't create anything. You were just gifted by God. And we'll stick with the, the context of preaching. If I give a really, really good sermon, aren't I awesome? Mm, mm, I'm awesome. I am so good. I got to tell you. Okay, some questions. Did I create truth? Did I, did I create theology? Did I breathe out the very word of God that we look to every week? Did I create the human voice box so that you could even hear me? Did I create your ears? Did I give myself breath today that I might even be alive? Did I give myself a mind? Did I create, create the human brain? Am I the Savior that died for me? Am I the one who called me to be his son? Am I the one who called me into ministry? Am I the one that gave me tons of wonderful examples of good preaching so that I might learn from them? I didn't do any of that. You take away any one of those things, and I've got nothing. Nothing. What do you have that you didn't receive? And if then you received it, why do you act as if you had not? And I'll tell you what, fellow Christian, if we could meditate on that, the fact that we didn't create, we just received from God, if we could focus on that, then I think we would, we would find ourselves judging far less. And we would be more kind and more compassionate and more thankful and more humble. We just received. I overinflate my own accomplishment. And then fourth and last, people aren't the standard. Jesus is. You see, when I judge, what I'm doing is I'm comparing me to another human. It's all about humans, right? But, but the standard isn't me and you. The standard is Jesus. And by that standard, I stand condemned. You do too. 
So we're back to humility and confession and repentance. And what I need to do is say, Jesus, would you examine my life? Would you examine my heart? Would would you show me the ways in which I need to grow this year? Jesus, please, judge me, not others. Help me. So those are four reasons why uh, we probably shouldn't judge. It's problematic. It's problematic. Now, as we wrap up, I want to make sure you understand something. We have been talking about two sides of the same coin. The first side we talked about is being judged by others. The other side is judging others, but it's the same coin. And my point is this. If you are judgy to others, I warn you now, you will live under the constant fear of being judged by others. Because your focus isn't on Jesus. Your focus is on the crowds in both cases. It's the same coin. And I want you to throw the coin out and get rid of both sides. It's a crappy way to live. Give them both up. Shift your focus to God and live free. And one of the ways that we see that happen at times is in Ironman races. I'll just finish by talking about this. Ironman race. So it starts with a 2.4 mile swim. Now, if you ever swam to, I tell you, I haven't. 2.4 miles, that's an incredibly hard swim. And that's in a swimming pool. These are in open waters with waves and people and all that. And then once you're done with that swim, you get out and you get to do a 112 mile bike ride. That is from Stowe, Ohio to Pittsburgh. No idea why anyone would want to go to Pittsburgh. But, <clears throat> so, but, but you get the distance, and then you bike that distance. And when you're done with that, you get to run a marathon. Some of you have run marathons. Like, that's it. No, that's just kind of like the tail end of it, right? Wow. Holy cow. It's so long, and it's so difficult that all the people in it, they are not there to compete. They're there to complete. Get the difference? So, so they are fellows on the journey cheering each other on to completion. When they see somebody limping, their heart swells and they cheer them on. And if you see me falling behind, what you might not know is that I just got over cancer treatments and it blows my mind that I'm even in the race. You just don't know that. What if we did life that way? What if we left judgment to God And we acknowledge that it's a really, really long, hard race for all of us. And and so we don't compete, but we're just cheering each other to complete. And when we see someone limping, we have compassion and we cheer them on. And when people look down on me and judge me, I'm going to leave judgment to God. I'm going to run my race. Let it be a very small thing. Let me pray for that. Father, admittedly, we are not so great at living these things out. And so we come before you right now in repentance because we are under the judgment of Jesus and he sees it and he knows it and we repent of it. Would you use us, first of all, would you examine our hearts and grow us up and then would you uh, allow us to shift the focus to you, that we would keep our eyes on you and then that we would be people who respond, who encourage who have compassion. Make us those kinds of people, please. And I pray for that in Christ's name.